Peter, can you hear me? Did you hear a thing I said? Well, I'll be here till I'm ready to face the world again. And I'll try to be for real, but I don't know if I can. Michael Band with Retro Lovely, and we are starting. It's a little couple minutes later. Um, we have some intro music there by 17 Saints. Do check them out at 17saints.net. Coincidentally, I'm part of that band. Um, I wanted to start this at about 11:30 because I figured till um, you know a couple of people joined in, uh, start to listen. Um, there's a few things I could get out of the way. Uh, we do have two guests coming on later: uh, Ms. V Pinup Model and Ruby Von Vanity. I'm very excited that they're able to join this program today because um, they have got uh, a lot of history with the magazine. They've been around since the beginning. Um, I'm going to consciously try and watch my speech today. As I listen back to the uh, podcast that I did with Josephine Kenny recently, I noticed there are certain things that I say over and over again, like a lot of people do, and you don't even realize it until you hear yourself play back. Um, it's a great exercise. I would recommend for anybody record yourself talking for a few minutes to somebody else and listen to the listen to the crutches that we lean on for for speech like right there in that interview with uh, Josephine um, afterwards I was mortified by how many times I said the word like just to take up space so I'm going to really try hard today to avoid those things I'm going to try to avoid say um you know like all of that crap uh, right now I did post onto the Instagram page that the show is live. 
if anybody wants to take part with uh, questions or have comments, I'll be monitoring that as we go. So if there's something you've always been curious about or you want to ask, hit, hit a comment. Um, I'll try and get to everything as as best po as possible. Uh, obviously, some things that are more relevant, I think I'll, I'll focus on first. Uh, so Retro Lovely. Today marks the day. Ten years ago, the first copies of Retro Lovely arrived. I took possession. Um, it was nerve wracking. It was exciting. It was a lot of things. Uh, it was probably actually, as I reflect upon it, it's astonishing how quickly it was able to be brought together. I believe the first inklings to start something like this occurred in probably like October of 2009. And I know for a fact I'm going to want to actually do some podcasts where I very specifically talk about the history in great detail because there's a lot of interesting things that went with it, um, things that people might find find uh, you know interesting to know, and it's also the sorts of things that helps somebody understand how something works, why we do things a certain way, how you have to approach it to be as efficient as possible, what all goes into it. Uh, there's 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 that saying where you, you really, really don't know what somebody's life is like unless you walk a mile in their shoes. And that is phenomenally true. Don't ever think about something or look at what somebody's doing and think, oh, that's easy. Oh, they're, they're a model. That's easy. They're a photographer. That's easy. They're a burlesque performer. I could do that too. There's a lot that you don't really appreciate until you get knee deep. Uh, they say, you know, be careful what you wish for. That's absolutely true. And that's happened for me a couple of times in my life where you think, oh, here's this thing that I love and I'm going to get involved with it in a serious way. And there's there's uh, the potential that I can you know, either do it for a living or get very, very active with it. And it can be a very dangerous proposition. But back to Retro Lovely, um, just to give you a little backstory, uh, when I came to decide to start it, I had just a few years earlier, uh, produced uh, a graphic novel. There was only one issue ever saw the light of day, but I did learn a lot with it as far as publishing, as far as getting something out there. And the way the comic book industry works, the way they produce and distribute their products, I, I learned a lot as far as how they go about that. And it introduced me to how magazines and print publications in general work and how they, how they get to the market. A big thing to remember is that this is in 2008, 2009. This is before smartphones really became a commonplace item in everybody's lives. And it was also um, pre-social media. I mean, Facebook did exist, MySpace did exist, but it really did not transform life as we know it, as, as it did when Facebook really kind of took over. Those two events, smartphones as being high quality, portable digital devices that you could uh, you know, play music on, listen to videos and, and look at images, uh, and then social media. And sometimes I, I have a question from people. They'll say, why did you stop printing? Why, why did you go into a hiatus, you know, around like, uh, 2013, 2014. And I'll reference the revolution of smartphones and technology and social media, because uh, a great, a great little thing I would say to somebody is, okay, so Let's go back in time and let's pretend it's 2009 again. If I asked you if you have a, a cell phone, you know, did you have one at that point? You know, most, most people did. 
But a lot of them were flip phones. A lot of them were for making phone calls or actually talking to somebody, not as a portable computer. And I would say to them, okay, so now imagine that phone that you had in 2008 or 2009, and I want you to use it today. And I want you to watch a video on YouTube or uh, Skype with somebody or do all these other things that at that point, that technology would have been very trying. Like I remember the cameras on the phones back then. Yeah, they were kind of okay to take a photo or something, but you couldn't scan a document and send it to your insurance company with any kind of resolution that they would accept it as legally binding. You couldn't, you know, there were, there were so many uh, advances that had been made in just a few short years that transformed publishing. And when I say publishing, that encompasses everything. I mean, the reality of it is when you, when you put something online and it's open to the world to see, you've, you've made it public, you've published it. Uh, so all of these changes, um, really just plummeted sales and it became a situation where it was, it was, it was not feasible to continue as we were, we were printing thousands of copies of each issue. They were being distributed in stores. They'd be sent. they're being sent all over the world. Um, we were able to get free copies to the people that were in them and offer them at wholesale. There was a lot of things we could do because we were doing it in, in, in massive quantities. I would get a, a delivery. It would be a truck. There'd be pallets. Of, of cartons that up you know, for the new issue and that just stopped. But to get back to how and why it started after having spent some time working with this uh, graphic novel and this comic book and realizing, you know, some of the things that went into it, something else occurred where I was hired to do a photo shoot for a, for a motorcycle. It was a custom uh, shop, uh, custom build. And the guy knew me and he, we had a common friend and he said, you know, could you take some photos of this bike for me? I'm like, sure. You know, what do you need? And he said, well, I want, I want to, I want to take some shots with the bike with like a model. Could you, could we get a model to model with it? I'm like, yeah, I could probably, you know, get something to work there at the time. You know, this is 2007, 2008. Um, there's some dedicated modeling websites that were still very popular and active and viable. Um, and one of them, we basically put a casting call on it for the geographical area that we were looking for. And we had a couple of hits, a couple of people contacted us and we talked to them and arrived at working with a particular model. And we set up the shoot. Um, it was in this great uh, machine shop. So you've got this great backdrop with this custom bike and the model was, was on her game. She was a good model. She had a good look. She did, you know, we had a hair and makeup artist and we, we took a bunch of photos and within a few weeks of actually concluding that shoot, he had sent me an email and he's like, Hey, those, those photos that we took, um, is it okay? There's a, there's a magazine wants to publish some of those. I went, sure, whatever, you know, cause he was a friend, but he, he actually also paid me. He hired me to do this. It was a cheap rate, but it was a paid job. So I'm like, Hey, whatever you want to do, just, you know, go ahead. So just a few weeks after that message, he contacts me again. He's like, yeah, they're going to do like a multi-page feature. I'm like, Oh, excellent. You know, because initially I'm thinking like, yeah, they're going to put like a photo of his bike in a corner in the back. And it turns into this feature. Um, time proceeds. And within, you know, another month or so, he sends me a message. He's like, yeah, it's, it's going to be on the cover of this magazine. And I'm like, what? Hold on. Who's this? He tells me the name of it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen that, you know, on shelves. I'm like, cool. I'm like, when about does it hit? And, you know, he gave me an approximate date. I was like, cool. You know, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, I've had work published in newsstand publications before. Um, so it wasn't like it was a brand new exciting thing, but it was the first time anything I'd ever done would be on the cover of something that would be you know, on bookshelves everywhere. So the day came and it came out 
And it was close to the holidays that year. And I decided, you know, I'm going to pick up a couple of copies and give them to family and friends. So I hit like my local bookstores and, you know, one of them had like three copies. So I bought those. I went to another shop. They had like four or five. I bought those. And I'd sent a message to the model and I said, Hey, did you get word that it's out? I said, I've already, you know, bought a couple of copies of myself down here. I've, I've cleaned out a couple of shops and she says, yeah, I've done the same thing. I've been to like four or five, you know, stores already and I've, I've cleaned them out. And what was interesting was as I talked to the gentleman who had the bike, I talked to another friend of ours who was an assistant. He wrote the article that they ended up using. And then I talked to some of the people at the shop that I had met. They all went and bought copies of this thing. I thought, wow, I wonder how much that happens. Like how, how often does this occur where people just, um, have work in something like that. And then they support it like that. And what was, what was kind of like striking to me or what struck me was I was, I was seeing a lot of pinup art and I was seeing a lot of pinup photography that was really impressing me, um, on various, you know, uh, photography websites and modeling websites. Um, I had been to like Viva Las Vegas and uh, Lone Star Roundup and obviously the culture strong. And as I, as I sought out work, there was, there was very few ways. There were very few places that I could actually buy like a magazine with just this material in it. And having done work with the uh, graphic novel, um, I kind of said, you know, let's, let's try this out. Let's, let's see if we can actually put something together. Um, high quality, lots of images that would serve as a vehicle to, um, commemorate the art, to, to have a, a keepsake, something to keep forever. And I thought, well, you know, I, myself, I have some background with, with, you know, publishing slightly on a small scale. Um, if I approach photographers, maybe we could do it communally. Maybe we could put together like a, a bit of a cooperative, you know, pool our resources, pull our art and put out something decent that we could all access and have, have available to us, um, for sale, promotionally, whatever. And as fate would have it, I began talking to a bunch of people, probably in November, 2009. By January, I had a, a solid lineup of material. I had a lot of a great content and the race was on. Um, we had, uh, I had been talking to, uh, Mitzi Valenzuela from Mitzi and company, and she brought, of course, material, but she also had, um, done a lot of work with, um, uh, Musumi Max and, or Musumi, however you pronounce it, I always forget. And basically we, we landed on her as the cover feature. And as Mitzi, you know, every year goes to Viva Las Vegas and has a big booth and, uh, you know, uh, presence there, it made sense. So the race for me was to identify a printer, make sure the quality was what I wanted and that they could deliver to have it in my hands in a, in a time frame that I could then get them to Mitzi at uh, Viva Las Vegas. And what was interesting was that the timing of it, the, the production of it, uh, the way it landed was such that I literally near the last minute had a situation where I said to the printer, all right, I have, you know, however many thousand copies coming to me, can I divert, you know, like 500 to go directly to Vegas? Can I give you an address at a hotel in, in Vegas for this person to pick up these 500 copies? And they were, you know, they, they made it work. Um, and what was interesting was my copies arrived to me March 23rd, 2010. And I think the ones hit Vegas just a few days later. And then Viva Las Vegas was like literally just kicking off that year. It was, it was timed almost like it almost didn't work. They weren't almost there. And the thing that I think is, um, really critical to the story of the magazine about that is that that year 
um, that show was was well attended. They all are. But again, we're still pre smartphones and social media. People were still buying magazines. The product that I had created, the quality, the the materials, um, everything about it was was not like anything that had ever been seen before. It was all images, full pages, very the only real articles were about, you know, the, the cover model and there were some blurbs about some of the other models, but it didn't have articles about pinstriping or an event. I wanted them to be timeless. In fact, one of the reasons Retro Lovely doesn't have monthly issues per se, they're just numbered, is because I wanted to craft them in a way that if you picked it up 10 years later, you wouldn't really know when it was put together. There wouldn't be any evidence of dates. In fact, the only place in the entire publication that gives you an inkling as to when it was produced is in, in the table of contents. Very small. It says first printing April 2010. April because I didn't think I'd have them until April. We literally produced it and put it together so that April was, was the, the release date effectively. But they actually arrived, arrived here on March 23rd. And it was kind of harrowing. It was a, there's a lot of anxiety sometimes when you're using a service, um, producing something because things can go wrong. And in my setting up, um, doing the research of, of printers, one of the things, of course, you're looking at cost, you're looking at material. Um, a lot of them will send you samples. So if you want to like print like a, you know, a menu for your restaurant or an annual report for your company, you get samples, you see what the quality is like, but often, and I've learned this from doing other printing in the past. I mean, I've done some commercial print work as a graphic designer for, for companies marketing wise. Um, sometimes, um, the sort of product that you're producing certain aspects of it, certain qualities about it are hypercritical. Like a good, for instance, is, um, I know one of the printers I was dealing with, uh, as a graphic designer for this uh, security firm, uh, I went to a printer and I wanted a job quote. And what I said to the owner of the, the firm, when I was asking, uh, specking out the job, I said to him, and I don't have any hypercritical color requirements. I'm not going to tell you, I need the reds to be Pantone X, Y, Z. And if it's not right, I'm going to refuse the work. And immediately upon saying that he knew we were speaking the same language. He knew that I knew that some companies like Coca-Cola, if they've, if they're printing some, uh, collateral for the company. Their specific color red to them is hyper important that it looks the same. And if you think about it, when you see any of their, their, you know, their products or this or that, or the next thing that that color is consistent, no matter if it's on a t-shirt, if it's on a, on a box, that's got, it's a 12 pack. If it's on a flyer, if it's on a billboard, that color red is extremely specific and it's, it's hyper important to them that that's, that's, that's part of their identity, that color. There are companies that have actually. Uh, trademarked certain colors, the specific wrapper color of Hershey bar, that, that formula of color. If another company uses it with like, like a chocolate product, they would probably get sued by Hershey corporation and Hershey would win because they've, they've trademarked that color. So in saying to this, this printer, I don't care about color consistency. He knew that, that, you know, I was speaking his language and he was okay with this. And he gave me a great deal because he knew I wouldn't be refusing the work based on something that's, um, you know, tricky. Sometimes it's tricky. I mean, they've, they've got it's a, modern printing is phenomenally accurate 
but still there's variances and things can go wrong. So with me, with the magazine, with Retro Lovely, it was very important to me, not so much that the colors were hyper accurate, but that the print quality was good and consistent. Again, knowing what can go wrong, I kind of want to get a sense of, of how well they did in general. Um, the other aspect of it is um, I, I have never myself owned like um, color calibrated monitors. I've never calibrated my monitors. Um, I wanted to make sure my color at least was within a certain window of accurate. So what I did with this particular vendor was I, I asked them for physical samples of products on the same sorts of stocks that I want to use. And then I asked them, may I please have some of the files that were used to make that? Not, not even like the whole, like if it was a magazine, not the whole magazine, if it was a flyer, you could just give me like one page of the flyer. What I wanted to do was I wanted to have in my hands a print job that they printed and also have the file that made that print on my computer so I could launch it and look at it. I could compare the two. And by doing that, I myself personally could judge what sorts of things changed as far as input to output. You know, if this is what this company gave them, this PDF and it's a flyer, and this is what they printed. And I look at it and I can say, okay, it feels like maybe it's a little more dense. Maybe it's like heavier. They have what they call press scan. Um, it looks darker for some reason as compared to the computer, which is backlit. It's a completely different way of looking at, at something. So it's, it's always been a battle to, to, you know, reconcile the differences between those two mediums. So I finally arrived at a company that I, I really liked the quality of, of what I saw. I went with them, we got things rolling and, you know, the, the gestation period from the point that I signed off on the project and paid them thousands of dollars, um, it was several weeks, several weeks, actually approaching probably a month and a half. And it was a harrowing time because even though I had done that work of trying to make sure that what I gave them was going to be produced in a certain way and I could mentally be prepared that my product was going to be what I had hoped, you still don't know. You still have things that can happen. Um, I just didn't know, like, like people would say to me like, Oh, did they come in yet? And I'd say, no, they haven't. And they say, are you excited? I'm like, well, as long as I get them and they don't look brown, right? Meaning something got skewed so badly with the color that it looked funny. You know, as long as I get them and they look decent, you know, based on the materials, I'm, I'm in a window of expectation of, yeah, it should be pretty good. So March 23rd, they showed up to help the guy unload them, which was, was kind of cool because I got a great workout because God, it was like three pallets. It was probably 4,000 pounds. It was a lot of, you know, I don't have a loading dock. So he had a lift gate and a, and a hand jack and I had a tall driveway and you know, I didn't have a commercial space. It was, it was a bit of work. Um, so I got them they're unloaded and he's gone and here's all these cartons and it's time. And I got a razor and I opened the first one and I, I pulled it out and the cover looked fantastic. The, the color was great. The print quality was fine. It felt good. It was a heavy card stock. It had a laminate on it. It looked good. I opened it. I paged through it. Everything looked like I had expected. There was no problems. It was very exciting. And over the coming, you know, days, what was also exciting was any person that I handed one to, as soon as they touched it, they remarked about, wow, this feels great. It had a tactile experience. It wasn't just the images. It had a weight. 
and had a quality to your, your fingertips felt the quality of the print of the materials. And that was important to it. That was a big part of it. And the initial, you know, the initial responses were that it was a score. Um, we began to get them right out into the world and it was, um, it was pretty exciting for the next few weeks. So what I'm going to do right now is it's about just about 12 o'clock. Um, we have Miss V queued up to get in here. I'm actually going to run a little bit more music while I duck offline, uh, connect with her, get her in the mix here and bring her back online with us. And again, the bumper music today, the music that I'm using in between is from the act 17 saints, which coincidentally I'm involved with. So the good thing about this is I don't have to worry about, uh, uh, royalties and getting permission to use this stuff. So just give a listen for this for a few seconds. We'll be right back. Lights out. Why can't you love? Danger is looking. Perception. Why can't you love? Can't take you serious in my reflection. I cut you. I open up this vein. Perception. It taunts you. It thrills you. Can you break through every little death I could save you? I pull myself away. Every little death I become you. Yeah, I think I like it better this way. Attempting to capture words and lies you've come to know. It hurts you. This distraction. It cuts you up and tears you apart. Temptation. This reckless rage of love. Your reservations won't let go. Walk your line. It's your chance to break out. Would you like to? Every little death I could say you, I pull myself away. Every little death I become you, yeah, I think I like it better this way. Every little death I could say you, I put my guns away. Every little death I'm losing you, yeah, I think I like it Attention is breaking, burned alive this flame, I know. Wake up from ashes, who lit you up? Every little death I could say you, I pull myself away. Every little death I become you Yeah, I think I like it better this way Every little death I could save you I put my guns away Every little death I'm losing you Yeah, I think I like it better this way Can I feel you? Can I feel you? Okay, I am back. And oh, there's some more people got on here. Great. And we have Miss V coming online. It looks like she is getting ready to get in here. 
Hi. Can you hear we me? Actually, today it sounded pretty good. Yeah, let me see. Hi, this is this is Miss V. There's one more button I believe she needs to push here. Technology. I was just I, talking. I'm on. Can you hear me? Between now and ten years ago, ten years Hello? ago, I imagined um, any of this being like so easily possible. Hi, Annie. Hey, this is Miss V. Can you hear me? Are you there? Yes, I can hear you. There you are. I know there. what happened. You know what happened? And this the other day, um, Annie Stilettos was helping me with this. I actually just—I I apologize. I just realized how I pump in the the bumper music. It comes in on the same channel as the Collins. So as I faded yeah. out just now. And what's weird is I saw I saw the message on the on the application that we're using, and uh, it said that you were you know waiting to come online, but now you're finally online, and now I have your audio. So. Miss V, hello. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Good. And you're you're situated physically in Philadelphia. Is that okay to tell people? I mean, I'm not going to give them. Yeah, your yeah, that's mm -hmm. fine. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, well, I, I mean, people probably figure that out if they see where I do shows all the time. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's a that's a pretty good call there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm glad we tested this yesterday because I was very pleased with how the audio quality was. It seemed like everything was pretty easy to do, and uh, yeah, um, I think it's. I, I had fun yesterday, just like uh, you know, rapping with you guys. So this is yeah, this is nice. kind, of, kind of fun. This is the ten year anniversary, and um, let me just kind of introduce Miss V. Um, and I promise not to say um, and I'm saying it a lot already. I hope I don't <laughs> like start saying like. Um, but there it is again. So Miss V. Miss V was not. Miss V was not in issue number one of Retro Lovely. So now later we're gonna have Ruby Von Vanity join us, who was not only in the first issue, but. Um, I actually have the graphic. Um, when I was working on the product, you know, the, the magazine, we didn't have a cover model. I asked Ruby if I could use an image of hers that I shot as a mock-up for like a precursor of what's to come. And she was gracious enough to allow me to do that. I still have it after all these years. And I think it's funny that after nearly 10 years, we finally got her on a cover. It seems like it's a long time coming, but sometimes, you know, things don't, don't just automatically happen because you know somebody. There's, there's a lot of years at work there. So the thing with Miss V though is you and your husband Chris were were one of the first people to actually buy copies of the magazine. Mm -hmm. And what was mm -hmm. fascinating to me was month in and month out, as issues would come in, you know, every couple of months, I'd I'd see the orders come in for for, you know, Chris and Victoria and, and wherever. And I start to recognize the name. What's what's fascinating for me is even even though you physically touch and I mean a lot of people probably don't know that, but of, of the hundred thousand copies that have ever been produced of the original series of Retro Lovely, I, I touched all of them. Um, if it was a matter of it being a carton that I was sending to a distributor or a store or pounding them into a box or an envelope, I pretty much touched every single copy of those things. So my DNA is all over the planet right now. I mean, I'm everywhere <laughs> as far as it goes. Um, I might be responsible for, for some virus that I don't know about. But the thing of it is, I started to recognize you know, your name and I forget at what, what point it was, but um, in the even from the very first issue of the magazine, and we had a feature in the back called Corkboard, and it was a fun two pages where I basically had what looked like a corkboard, and I invited people to uh, send snapshots. I mean, the magazine was about high quality professional images, and I would get people would send me work that was kind of like, well, that's a that's a snapshot of you at a car show. Yes, it's cute, but it's not what this is about. How can we integrate this anyway? How can I? 
How can I let fans participate in the magazine somehow, even with something like a selfie? Well, selfies really didn't exist. Well, they did, but not like they do now. Like a snapshot, like a, like a fun thing. And Corkboard was, was created. And I, I recall, you know, some of the early issues we had, you know, was people, people were thrilled when they got that. When they were in the Corkboard then, it's like they get a cover now. Okay. That's the level of excitement. Oh my God, I'm in this magazine in the Corkboard. So having seen your name so much, I actually reached out to, I think I, I reached out to Chris directly and said, hey, I, I see you guys all the time. You know, when people buy this magazine faithfully, I appreciate that. You know, please send something for the corkboard. You know, does your wife do any modeling of this or that? And at that point in time, he's like, well, she's kind of dabbled. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was like he didn't just immediately say, yes, we have something. And then, <laughs> you know, and then it's like, I think it was three or four months later. Oh, that's got to stop. <laughs> Hold on. Apparently there's a buzzer that's loud. Um, and the thing of it was, I think it was three or four months later. I, I actually even forget when the first Taboo edition came out, but you, you actually debuted in Taboo. And it was like, did, it was an amazing, yeah. uh, it was so quick. It seemed like it was so quick and like, what a way to go. And it was so, from my very first photo shoot ever. That was your very first photo shoot? <laughs> it was. That's amazing. How about that? How about that? <laughs> and I remember, I remember I was with Celeste Giuliana photography and I remember going in and, you know, saying, Oh, I want, I really liked this image that Dita Von Teese had done where she was, she was fully nude, but you don't really see anything because of how she's posed. So uh, we, we, we took these photos and I remember thinking, Oh, this is a normal thing. You must do this all the time. And then Celeste being like, no, nobody comes in and does nudes their first time. <laughs> I was like, why? It's fun. Why? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, I guess if you appreciate the art and you like that a particular image it makes sense and like you said it was mm -hmm. it was implied so it wasn't like you're all out there you know oh I, yeah I yeah i get that totally well that's that's actually that's actually really cool and it's it's interesting too because um now from those humble beginnings the next part of the relevance of miss v being here with us today is that um the point came in time was it 2013 or 2014 uh Things things had finally come to a head with with actual sales. I mean, when mm -hmm. things started, we were selling thousands of copies. I could send people free copies, and there was wholesale, all that stuff. And then it started to shrink, less and less and less. As phones and social media got more capable, people bought less magazines. And if you've ever like produced something and you print two thousand copies of a of a postcard, they're like a penny a piece. If you print a hundred of those postcards, they're like five dollars a piece. Right. scale means a lot so as things diminished it got to be that it wasn't paying for itself and what a lot of people don't realize is that the last few actual issues of the original series that were mass produced um i subsidized those i took about twenty thousand dollars out of a 401k just to try and keep it going to figure out what was going on and when nothing changed when there was nothing could be done to get it back it was like well i can't pay for this i can't make this happen all the time and I decided to go on a hiatus. I decided, well, we got to stop. And the thing of it was, even then, there were print-on-demand resources available that people, I think Victoria, you included, that you were like, well, why don't you do it with this? Other magazines are doing this using these services. Why don't you do it that way? And for me, and I don't know if you heard what I was just talking about earlier, but for me, the the physical quality of the original series, the materials, the tactile experience that people had was part of it and I didn't want to give that up. I didn't want to I didn't want to take the name and, and resort to, 
you know, doing, doing it the other way. So I basically shelved everything. Um, right. As I did this, I, I, you know, V asked or, or I asked, I don't know how it came about, but you were one of the admins for the, for the Facebook page for Retro Lovely. For years, yes. Time, for years, right. And at the time, all we did was really share content that we published. We only posted photos that were in magazines. We weren't a share page. Right. And I walked away from it. I mean, I don't think I looked at the page for two years. You, you handled it and you posted things and you were, you ran, you held the wheel, you ran the ship. Right. Yeah. That and, was, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for, for however, how long, it probably was like two or three years. Um, yeah. It was about two years. Yeah. You, you took it from like, I think when you, when you took over or, or started, it was like a couple hundred thousand fans. And then like, you know, I'm going about my life trying to figure out what happened, you know, living. And mm -hmm. you'd say to me, Hey, we broke a million fans. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, my God. And then, like, you know, a couple of years later, hey, there's there's too many, too many fans. It's like, holy crap, right? That was all you. I mean, I can't, was, I can't hide the fact that, that you held the wheel and you, you, you took it there on social media. So I thank you for that immensely. Well, thank you. And, and that was back when you actually could grow something on Facebook. I mean, now, right. even when you pay for Facebook ads, you still don't reach anybody other than maybe a small fraction of the people who already said they want to see updates from your page. So right. it's just and a you, unique time. You know this well yourself from your own personal page for mm -hmm. your modeling. Um, mm -hmm. You've experienced it firsthand the same way. There was a, there was a golden age of social media where you could yeah. gain ground. And you know what it was? I think it was them, like a drug dealer, giving us a heroin fix. You know what I mean? They gave <laughs> us a tape and we kept coming back. And then they, they said, oh, well, if you pay us, this is what you'll get. And that worked for a while, too. But then it kind of stopped, you know, kind of went away. Mm -hmm. So now I want to fast forward uh, to two years ago. Another reason we're talking today and another reason Ms. V is uh, integral and important to Retro Lovely is that probably the only reason it has been relaunched is because of a question somebody asked you. Do you remember what that was? No, I have no idea Even, what you're talking about. Even Las Vegas two years ago, you sent me a message. You sent me a message from Viva. Somebody made a comment to you and you yeah. connected it to me and said, you sent me a message and you remember what that was now? Oh, Coastal Expressions, Kevin looking into the magazine. Right, yeah, you were yeah. out there. Yeah. I, I had no intentions of relaunching. And yeah. you were in Vegas and Kevin from Coastal casually mentions to you that he was thinking about buying another magazine. Mm -hmm. And he said, are you interested? And at that point in time, I'm like, absolutely. Yes, I am. You know, I'm like looking at Bill saying like, I need to pay my mortgage and my taxes. Like, yes, please. Who wants it? Why do they want it? You know, it was, it was honestly like a little confusing for me because I'm like, why would they want this thing? It doesn't make any money. Right. How could they, why would they possibly want this? And I think ultimately the thing that it, it rolls back to is that what you said about social media, you know, it went from being able to like actually uh, have followers and, and, and gain uh, traction to being gone, being vanished. And the reality of it is it becomes, how, oh, so, so how do you actually build a brand? Well, you know, struggle and, and at best <laughs> you have to guess if it's going to work Two, you have to be like a major celebrity who had some kind of scandal. So people want to like eavesdrop on your life. Um, or you pay them phenomenal amounts of money to allow the floodgates to open. Like I, mm. I go to the Playboy Instagram uh, account every once in a while, and I'm astonished at the stuff that's there that isn't reported, that's live on their page, that would have me in trouble in hot water in ten seconds. You know? Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, I po I'm so careful 
Uh, I don't even post like pasty shots from shows, which technically meet all their standards and guidelines, don't violate anything, but they will take things down if they sort of feel like it has a sexual intent, whatever that means. Yes, yes, exactly right. And the thing with why I think Kevin was interested was because he too had that realization. Mm -hmm. How can I get a large audience? Well, buy another one. You know, it's it's a classic example in in you know all time. Like you know, large companies that they have competitors or they they want to expand their business. One way to do it is buy another one that's in a like field. So that was kind of what happened. And you know, uh, uh, I've been working with Kevin ever since, and I talk to him on the phone occasionally. He's a great guy, and we really yeah. see eye to eye on a lot of things because he has had magazines of his own. We have walked in the same shoes, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. It's literally a situation where we understand each other well. In our discussions, he never, we never really got to the point where he made a decision on buying the publication based on what I told him I wanted for it. What I, what I actually said at that point in time was, there were things about the magazine that um, I've never done before that I said, well, if you bought it and you did these things, maybe it could work. And I, I basically said, well, I'll tell you what, if you're thinking about it. Meanwhile, why don't I relaunch it, employing those ideas and see if it works? And then, then in a couple months or a year, you could decide, yeah, you know what? It did. He's right. And I want to buy it. Or no, it wasn't effective. It isn't worth it. And I don't. And that's why we're talking because that was the thing. We basically did it as a test to see how could we redo it. I mean, we did want to try and relaunch it like we did before with high quality, but that would have taken um, some effort and investment on the parts of some of the players and in very short order, I found out that there is just no appetite for that. People just don't have the appetite for it. And I don't think the quality is decreased at all going into online content. The The quality of the printing from like MadCloud and Blurb and some of those others, they've it's gotten better. Very good. They've it's gotten the, better. The actually. content. Yeah, it's the content yeah. that usually made it crappy. People, you know, didn't have to put a lot of effort to put in, make a little magazine and put it up there. So they didn't put well, a lot sure. of effort yeah. in. So you got if a you lot of power garbage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you were still yeah. doing the great quality layout. So they they looked great, and the printing was was as good quality. So I I think the I think the ones that you get when you order a physical copy, and I still do, they look great. Yeah, I'm 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 well pleased. I mean, it's still not like a, like the original ones were, but it's it's still not embarrassing. I don't I'm not embarrassed by it. <laughs> so now we've gotten all of that stuff out of the way. We spent 15 minutes talking about why you're here. Let's talk a bit more about. <laughs> All the things that you've done in that time, because we, we you go literally from you and your husband buying a copy to doing your first mm -hmm. nude photo shoot and being in a yep. you know, the taboo. Yep. Edition. I think it was it was the first taboo too, wasn't it? It was taboo one. It was. I was in the yeah. first taboo, which yeah, and it was all sort of coincidental. Like I think I saw copies of Retro Lovely at Celeste Studio, and I was like, oh, that's fun. So like I ordered one, and was like, oh, this is fun, and then. Um, Celeste had actually asked me about submitting our set to the taboo edition. And I remember kind of like you're wrestling with it. Cause I have a, mm -hmm. I have a day job and uh, I was like, Oh, I don't know, you know how that'll go over. And I was just like, well, you know, if somebody's down the road, some point finds out that I once took some naked photos that were, you know, not in any way associated with my professional life and they have some issue with it. We're probably not going to get along for a lot of reasons. So, Oh, well, <laughs> I get just, that. I get that. Yeah. I just tried to be smart about it and like keep my, you know, my name and everything separated and 
oh, well, you know, if people have an issue with it, they're probably, they're going to have issues with a lot of other things I do. So we're, it's fine. It's for the best. Well, I think, I think a compliment to you is how you, um, you, you're very professional about it, how you handle it. You, you know, um, even, even for the things that are risque for most of the populace, um, or scandals, you, you handle it in a professional way that it's never like sleazy or, you know I mean? It's very polished. It's a, it's a, it's very much like a Dita Von Teese, uh, travel, you know, road. Yeah. You're doing it, you're doing it in a very, very respectable way. Thank you. And I, I really like shooting the fetish stuff. And I, I mean, like that stuff's certainly very risque to most people, but mm-hmm. I think it's fun. And I think, I think as long as you present it in a way, like when I put things on social media, I, 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 I accept that, you know, if my, if my butts in a photo, people are going to comment on and, you know, say nice ass or something. And I, I don't necessarily get offended by that, but if they go further than that, you know, I don't engage them, I block them, whatever. And I think kind of putting that out there is like, this is some art that I created that I'm proud of. And maybe it is sexy in nature, but that doesn't mean I want to flirt with you. And it doesn't mean I want to hear all your comments. And I kind of present it that way. And then people sort of pick up on that energy. And I I don't really get a lot of creepy comments or people thinking like, that's why I created this. So so that's good. That's been effective. And I know we've had this conversation before. I'm always very much uh, sympathetic to you ladies as far as the nonsense that you get, because what well, you remember from as a, as an admin for retro lovely, the, the emails, oh get like, like, dude, can you see that it's like thousands of different women? And yet you get the thing with the emojis of the eggplant and the photo that you don't want to see. And yeah. they like, I want to marry you. I'm like, well, who there's 30 of us on the page today. What are you talking about? marrying me? You know, I had a folder of dick pics at one point because back when back when things were like you could you actually grow your brand on social media, they also were doing an absolutely horrible job screening yes. for things like that. Yes. And people were posting porn links to the page oh, and God. like sending Those dick days. pics and all sorts of stuff. And like I was just cleaning it up and reporting it as fast as I could. And there yeah. was like no help whatsoever. Like they, they it's a full time job. They, yeah, they'd freak out on me if I, you know, posted a picture where you could see some side boob. And then meanwhile, I'm get, I got six dick pics today from random guys and they did nothing about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although what you said about the porn links, that was like that was like amazing to me. I'm like, how is this even like happening? You know? Yeah. Just it was it was like a rash. Like now do you remember um, did you ever see cuz there was there was points where like I just lost my cool, I lost my shit and like some of those messages will come in and I would like reply to them and I would get like kind of like aggressive with the guys and like really, <laughs> really just like demeaning and lead them. Like I remember one, he's like, he's just sending us. I'm, like, I'm like, Oh my God, I love you. Would you marry me? Could you send me money so I could get airfare? Here's my PayPal. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I thought like if I could get money out of this, let them pay me, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll, so I'll spend the time. A yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's a name I, for that. Like when you masquerade as a fin dome, what is that? <laughs> like a, a drag. I don't know. I th- we have to. I'm sure there is everything that. that you can think of exists. I have a, my best friend is also an admin on my page, so if I ever get locked out, he can he can take over, and uh, he he like l- just laughs at the messages I get on there, and I'll get a lot of um, subservient men that you know want me to tell them mm-hmm. how to dress up or whatever. And like, that's fine. You know, it doesn't offend me. Again, they're all for the most part, very respectful. Um, you know what? I just want to add just a funny thing right here. There's when people who hear this, this is like totally irrelevant to them, but at some point you actually added me as an admin to your page too. Mm-hmm. As like a safety net in case you got locked yep. out. Um, yep. And I forgot about this. And every once in a while, I'll get a, a Facebook notification of a message from somebody that I know personally. And then I go like, oh, it's it's for Miss V. I'm still on her account. 
right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, just so you know, I'm still there. If you want to like ditch me, that's fine. Because I every <laughs> once in a while, I see it. And then I remember and I think I should tell her. And then I just, like that fast, I get sidetracked. So uh, I think it's anyway. good to have a safety net. All right. Well, it's up to you. It's up to you. No, no. And you can be entertained by the, the messages every now and then. Yeah. Anyway, my, my friend every now and then just is like, can I just respond to these guys? Like they can come clean my house. <laughs> That's great. Why not? Why not? Take advantage of that. So <laughs> you you transition from uh, a consumer of pinup. You become a pinup. You get into mm-hmm. taboo edition. Um, in the ensuing years, you, you shot with lots of different artists and I can absolutely say with, 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 I know I'm not going to offend you, but like from your first photo shoot till now, I mean, you always look good in your photos as far as, you know, the photos are impeccable. Um, I definitely see, well, I had seen, like, cause I think you probably, I don't want to say you plateaued. Okay. Don't, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> probably from year one to year three, there was an absolute, uh, noticeable difference in what what I would call confidence in the shoots. Like mm. you came into your own. Like I remember even the first times that I shot with you versus like recently, I mean, granted we've done it a bunch and we're comfortable together, but from the first shoots to the, to the later ones, um, you've really gained a lot of skill. You've gotten a lot of chops. You've, yeah. you've, you've developed great. You know where your body is. You, you have your poses, you know what they are, you know what looks you're making and it shows in those photos as well. Now that confidence translated into your uh, blossoming uh, career in burlesque. And mm-hmm. I guess my question is this, had you any notion when you did your first photo shoots that burlesque was in your future? Was that something you always thought about and this was like the vehicle to get there or did it just naturally become this? I, I'd, I'd always been aware of it. I'd always been interested in it, but I don't think I ever really had any sort of confidence that I could do it. Uh, I don't have a dance background and I, you know, it's something that normally people think of as dancers. So I was like, oh, I, I couldn't possibly do that. And then you know, from doing the modeling, it sort of started feeling like a natural evolution that like, okay, taking these pictures and doing these, these sets and, you know, creating the images is a lot of fun, but I feel like I can do more. And I I did eventually sort of feel comfortable that like, okay, I can translate this, even though I don't have a dance background and still manage to create movements and, and acts that are interesting to watch and are engaging. No, I, I get that. Cause if you think about it, like, I don't know if you've ever, and I just said like, again, I, I wonder how much I'm saying that. I hope I'm not saying like a lot. So I apologize. Um, and there's, um, so I wonder if you've ever heard me say to people that I think when like I'm shooting a model, I like to think of it as a dance. And mm-hmm. what's interesting for, as far as what you said there, I've noticed with working different with different people, especially when I get to work with them multiple times, you do notice there is a, a fluid motion thing going on there that you almost think like, wow, you know, well, quite frankly, there's, there have been times where I've worked with somebody and I thought if we could videotape this and, and do like a pay-per-view, people would probably watch it, want to watch it because there is a, there is a bit of an artistry to it. There's like a, a flow. It's almost like itself an art form. And I think I actually believe I probably talked to you about uh, revisiting those old um, or the, the camera clubs where mm-hmm. uh, I mean, people do that. Now they have like, clubs where people get together photographers and models both and they pair off and they do shoots but a little bit different where it's a situation where a photographer and a model plan a shoot and execute a shoot but have um basically attendees uh, an audience if you will Mm -hmm. i think there's actually enough fascination and interest with it that you'd probably have some people be into attending something like that because of that motion so you're you transition from 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 that to doing burlesque it kind of makes sense i can kind of see it 
Um, That said, just like anything else, you try and use your strengths. So I, you know, because I learned how to use my body and, and pose and how to, you know, work my face and make sure my face isn't doing something weird, but even when I'm doing something uncomfortable, that transitions into burlesque. And I've had people comment that like when I do a Mm -hmm. stocking peel, the whole thing looks fluid and like I'm, I'm posing and like I'm modeling. I'm like, well, well, yeah, that's what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I totally see it. I totally get it. It makes sense. And I think it's why you probably see, um, I don't say so many, but plenty of models that have transitioned into it. It's become, it's like Mm -hmm. a natural, I won't say a natural progression, but for some, it seems like it has. Um, Mm -hmm. So the thing, the thing with this is um, just talking about the fact that you've transitioned into burlesque is one thing in and of itself, but you've also since graduated into producing. You're you're, Mm -hmm. you're now putting on shows successfully. Um, Tell, tell everybody a bit more about that. How did that start and what have you done so far? I mean, that started out of basically pure luck. Um, my One of my very good friends um, had connections with somebody who produced uh, different alcohol events, and they often wanted entertainment. And so she got... You're not talking uh, like AA meetings, right? No, no, like beer fest and, you know, different sort of like wine tasting events. Yeah, pro-alcohol events. So uh, this, this relatively new bar, Evil Genius Beer Company, had wanted to do a burlesque show. So she booked me to be in it and then they, they loved it and they wanted to turn it into a monthly event. And she did, she did not want to produce a monthly event cause that's a lot of work. So she passed the reins on to me and it's, it was, it's, it's been a wonderful experience. Um, that, that bar is a lot of fun. They do all these silly events. So like our, our show fit in really nicely and, uh, it was one of the few places where we actually had a nice stage. We actually had like a nice area where we could perform. We weren't just sort of like off in the corner with no lights, so it was, it was really wonderful experience. Awesome. And then how many, I just started. How long, that, how, did that, how long did that go for? Uh, that went like two and a half years. And um, we'll probably still do some like one-off shows here and there. But most of their other events are like just one-off events. Like they do a lot of murder mystery parties and other like themed events. So the burlesque is going to transition more back to that where it's just a special event here and there. Excellent. And yeah. okay, so what happened next? You have a new, a whole new show. Yeah, so I have a new show that I'm producing quarterly at Frankie Bradley. It's called Glamorama. Uh, we just did our first one in March, and we have another one coming up, hopefully, knock on wood, assuming we're all still here, on June 25th. And that's uh, going to be a tiki theme. And our, our goal, our, our vision for the show that I co-produce with Anita Manhattan is to do drag yeah. and burlesque and to have it be uh, like you're walking into a big glamorous nightclub and you're having uh, you're you're watching a show and then we have a DJ that stays and spins afterwards. We have a dance party and we have you know themed cocktails and decorations. So we really want it to be a little bit more of an immersive experience as opposed to like just going and sitting and watching a show. Oh, awesome. And I was really happy with how our first one came out. So I'm really looking forward to our. And I was incredibly bummed. I was trying to get down to that and things transpired against me that I missed it. But thankfully, uh, our mutual friend Rick sent me some real time mm-hmm. photos uh, as it was going on. It looked like it was a great event. It was a lot of fun. And I was, I was really happy. We had a great cast and we had three retro lovely cover bottles. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's yeah. when I look at the people you had on, I was like, holy crap, that what a, what a, what a opportunity to get down and like, you know, see the three of you together and get some, get some photos with you all and, and hang out and, oh, well. And now with world events, the event yeah. that you had coming up in my hometown here is, is yes. or postponed. So anyway, at some point it's going to happen. I'm sure it's going to happen. Cause yeah. 
interestingly enough, for those who will listen to this now and later, um, I actually reached out to V um, like a couple days ahead of it and said, hey, I just launched the podcast. I, I'm getting one of these episodes online. Could I potentially interview you and uh, Rosie Cheeks, uh, you know, the following day? And you guys were into it. And I was excited about mm -hmm. having, that, having that, you know, on this program. Uh, and it just didn't happen. So we'll make it happen eventually. Yes. Um, now, we've got Ruby Von Vanity. She's, she's, she's in the wings. I'm about to bring her out here. But before I do that, for you, is there anything else you would like to touch upon, talk about, promote, et cetera? Uh, no, I mean, my big thing coming up is the show. And then um, I've got uh, shows with Looking Glass Review coming up. And hopefully they're all a little bit in flux right now. But we have one uh, April 18th out in Scranton. So hopefully that one will stay on the books. <laughs> well, good, I'll good. see everybody soon. And just for anybody listening, Miss V is easy to find everywhere. If you, um, what's your actual website? Is it Miss uh, Yep, everything is Miss V Pinup Model. There you it's go. Miss V Pinup Model.com. Yeah. It's the same handle on Facebook and Instagram. There you go. So, everybody, you can and should follow Miss V. She's a terrific person and a friend of ours. So, do so. Um, right now, we're going to bring in Ruby. I got to send her an email. So, what I'm going to do, meanwhile, is we're going to take a quick three seconds here. I'm going to make you all listen to another song by the band that I'm in, which you should follow as well. This will mm -hmm. give V an opportunity to get a drink or pet her cats or whatever she needs to do there. Uh, they let definitely me get the need music that. up and I will get Ruby in the queue here. Hold on. Let me get some of that music I was just talking about. I should have been prepared. I'm not prepared. Oh my God. It's over. It's over. Here, this is a good one. We did a video for this one. Little 
Session defines what we believe, what we become. With Isaac and Sia, if there's Okay, I would have been thrilled to report that we have Ruby on the line, but we are still waiting to get connected with her. So while we wait for that, we will talk a little bit more. Uh, interestingly enough, what's convenient about this is, since I'm waiting for Ruby, it's a, a tie-in to point out that uh, Ruby Von Vanity is also part of the Looking Glass Review. In fact, she was one of the mm -hmm. charter members, I guess, and you very recently joined them as well. Mm -hmm. About two years ago. Two years ago? And yeah. it, it's not that you... Um, it's not that you... You, you actually do every single show that they do, right? You actually, it's kind of like mix and match or is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have a lot of shows and a lot of them are, are out um, kind of more closer to you than they are in Philadelphia. So it's kind of hard for all, some of the folks that are located in Philadelphia to get out there, especially on weeknights. So we kind of have a, a conglomerate of uh, people right. that, you know, cool. do, yeah. do the shows. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, also, no, go ahead. It's great because we do these different theme shows and not everybody has acts to for all the different themes. So we're able to like really pick people who have good right. numbers to fit the theme and not just retrofit something. I think it makes for a better show. I love that you said retrofit. It's appropriate. I like that retro in there. Um, so I don't know if you can hear, but by the additional noise in the earphones right now, and I can see I Ruby is online. I hear her in the background. Hi. Hello. How are you guys? Here she is. I'm good. I'm great. Uh, V's doing good. Um, how are you doing today? I know you're you're fighting something. Uh, your, your voice was a little. I could hear your voice a, a little bit yesterday. I was like, ah, she's feeling. She's not yeah, feeling. I'm feeling a little better, but to be, be a little. Bleh, I can't even talk today. I'm feeling yeah. a little bit better today. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. So uh, let me let me address to everybody who Ruby is and why she's here as well. Um, back. Uh, and I don't know if, if, if Ruby or V, if you caught my earlier rants when I started this, but I, I talked about um, some of what caused me to, to start the magazine in the first place. And what was interesting was it was probably about the time that I had my, my graphic novel, my comic book, The Victorian Horrors of Old Muck Chunk. Um, I had just gone to like Aviva Las Vegas. I did a Lone Star Roundup. I'm, I'm noticing pinup art photography, really appreciating it. And at the time, I was still on the, the tail end of, of you know, promoting my, my graphic novel. I have the artwork for a second issue. In, in the, I have the files. I just don't have the money to really do it, to put it out. Um, and at the time, I was visiting some friends in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, which once upon a time was known as Mock Chunk. And uh, they've got a B&B &B there that I, that I visited. It's the Gilded Cupid. It's Bob and Sheila O'Neill. They're awesome. If you're in or around Pennsylvania, uh, New York, uh, when you're allowed to travel, go there and stay at the Gilded <laughs> Cupid. They're fantastic. And 
Uh, Sheila makes a, a phenomenal breakfast with fresh herbs that she grows right there. It's, mm. it's fantastic. So I'm visiting them. And as I'm in the town, I noticed these posters for the inaugural Bur uh, Jim Thorpe Burlesque Festival. And I'm fascinated by this because obviously burlesque has has history with pinup. I mean, a lot of the, the early uh, what was pinup art back in, in those days were promotional photos from burlesque performers. A lot of those became like the first, you know, those those in like the naughty French postcards were some of the first pinup. So this excited me, of course, because it was sort of relevant. There was a tie in there. And lo and behold, as I'm, I'm staying with, you know, uh, the people to get the Gilded Cupid, they know the promoter. I mean, everybody in Jim Thorpe knows everybody else anyway, but Bob and Sheila know the promoter very, very well. And we sort of like made an introduction because what I thought was perhaps with the second issue of my graphic novel, I could promote the burlesque festival. So in doing so, what I actually proposed to um, Brooke, the, the person who put on the burlesque festival, uh, Brooke Nelson, right at that point in time, she had Dragon Town corsets in town. And I said to her, I'm like, you know, what if I were to do like a photo shoot, get some models and have them sort of in the Victorian burlesque, burlesque style, shoot it at the Gilded Cupid. I could use those for some promotional images. And, you know, she was all into it and, and Bob and Sheila were supportive of it. And basically I decided, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do this in support of the graphic novel and, you know, to advertise. And the thing of it was, as I found some models in the area on the, good old website model mayhem um there was a gal out of the allentown area uh lisa murray she went by bella chow and then i found this this girl ruby von vanity from some town that seemed like it was nearby i looked at the map and i thought she might be interested and i started to you know start the conversation and basically we had the photo shoot um the photos were going to be used for that but as this was all occurring retro lovely was born and Obviously, for that launch issue, some of the imagery that we did that day, you know, in November of 2009, ended up in that first edition. So, you know, Ruby was was one of the one of the only few models that are in that very first edition 10 years ago today. And I actually was talking earlier, Ruby, about how you were kind enough to let me use one of those photos as as the mock up of, yep. of what the magazine would be. Of, yeah. You know, this is coming. And, you know, even then, uh, I think when I talked to you, I probably said, you know, I wish I could tell you I could use this, but it's, it's for mo promotional purposes. Right. And even then, and for all these years during and since, if if you talk to any artist and you start to talk about a cover and it's not like it's actually going to be a cover, that's just a dangerous conversation because people hear things differently than what you say. They make assumptions and it can go south pretty quick. So I want to thank you that we had that conversation and everything was like, cool. <laughs> there wasn't any misunderstandings and you were very cool about it. And yeah. it, it pains me that it takes nine years later that we finally get you on a cover of the magazine. It's just, I made it. So. You made it. It's, it, right. it's <laughs> I made mom. I made it look, <laughs> but this is why Ruby is here because she actually was there very early on. In fact, I found a graphic that I'm going to post on Instagram. Um, I'm trying to jog my memory because the graphic shows we did a pinup contest um, very early on before the thing even launched. And it was for like a $500 prize. Now, I don't remember, was it, was it always $500 or did we change it to one or something? But basically what happens is there was, there was a contest and it was kind of like a social thing where people voted. It wasn't even 
Facebook or Instagram was like a dedicated site that I set up and people voted. And amazingly, ironically, of no, you know, foul play, you actually won that. You you got you got the win. And I remember talking to you, the magazine had just come in and I said to you, I'm like, well, do you want the money or do you want the magazine? You want magazines or do you want like a mix? And I think you opted for like all magazines at that point. It was like a couple. Was it a carton or two? I forget how many yeah, it was. But I still have no, some left. You, you have you have issue one. You yes. have something to one. How many do you have? I do. I don't know, but I know I have a couple left of the first issue. See, I was selling those for some big money. I I got I like two copies left, and every once in a while, I see them on eBay for for a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, it's crazy. Especially the first printings. You know, they were they were the the holy grail. That and. Yep. Issue two, because issue two, interestingly enough, was like the least, that's the one that f- the fewest number were printed because mm-hmm. it never got reprinted. So mm-hmm. it's it's the, the rarest of them all. But so that's why you're here. That's why Ruby Von Vanity is here. She has a lot of history with, the, with us. And it was interesting too. It was kind of fun, but, but I was a sponsor of that first burlesque festival. It was nice going to the event and having the Retro Lovely logo up there on the big screen. And they announced you as the winner and you, you know, you got on stage and everything else. And I think, I think it was just a few years ago, you might've reminisced about that or reposted something about that event and yes. noted that you went from that, from being in that audience that night, being awestruck by those performers to yourself becoming a pretty formidable burlesque performer, you know, regionally, yes. pretty, pretty decently mm-hmm. known and, and accomplished. So congratulations to you. Thank you for being part Thank of this you. story and, and welcome today. Um, so that said, with you guys working together, before I let V go, because I know she's working from home and I think she's probably already over her time limit. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything between the two of you with regards to the Looking Glass review that we should talk about or make note of or promote or anything jointly relevant? Or is that just like a stretch? <laughs> it's a stupid thing to even ask. Um, I mean, all of our stuff's canceled right now. We do have... Um, <laughs> uh, we are doing like live stream stuff so that's gonna be happening i think thursday it's called the glitter lowdown the glitter lowdown Um, good just same similar conversations but live video as well so excellent that's about all we can do right now um it is it is but we carry on we carry on and the show must go on so so to that miss v if you would like to depart i will i will say my thanks and is it a good time for you yeah, it's fine. Okay, I mean, you can stick around too if you want. You can you can uh, look online. Yeah, I can stick if you around want. for a few more minutes. Okay, cool. Then I'll, I'll start to talk to Ruby, and if you want to like butt in, go right ahead. Okay. In fact, if you have like a pan handy, just write down how many times I say the word like, and just like call me out on that. Say, um, uh, I'll keep a, a real name like too. count at the bottom. Right. <laughs> so, so Ruby, I am right now holding my smartphone, and I'm yes. going to post a photo to Instagram. And I asked your permission about this yesterday because I think it's cute as shit. But somebody, <laughs> somebody might have like a heart attack that I did this. Um, but as I was kind of like mentally preparing for this program, I was in my mind thinking about all the different things. And quite honestly, I forgot about some of the things. And what was bizarre was when I was looking for some of the photos from that first shoot that we did at the Gilded Cupid, which there's some really cool stuff that we got that day. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there was other folders that had other content in it, like that mock-up of that cover or the flyer for that promotion because you you i actually that's what kind of like i always had anxiety about it's like i actually had the, the photo of you and bella as the promotional photo for the contest and then you ended up winning it i mean yes i hate when things sound like they're rigged or seem like yeah. they might be foul play yeah. and that's why even last year when we did some things with 
the you know giving away money with regards to our Halloween and holiday editions, I tied it to the Pennsylvania lottery. Basically, like, mm-hmm. well, if you're on this page, that's your number. And if the PA lottery for this particular day when we start the drawings is that number, then you win. I think nobody in the world could say it's fixed at that rate because the third party is part of that puzzle. So with that promotion with you and having you on that flyer, I always like, oh, my God, what are the odds? And, and you know, you, I mean, I'm glad you won, but just appearances. Appearances are always kind of like, oh, geez, well, what yes. are people going to think? But I found this photo because as a diligent photographer, when we shot, I got model releases and I got licenses and I got your license. And what's funny was I'm not going to ask you how old you are now to try and figure it out. But (laughs) 10 years ago in Pennsylvania, you had one of the up and down licenses. One of those, we trust her to drive a car, but not drink licenses. So I'm going to post that right now because it's very cute. (laughs) And what I, what I really got a kick out of is in fact, what should I say about this? Okay. Let me just type a second here. To Ruby on Ivy now live on the air. I'm not going to capitalize because I'm in a hurry. Okay, so I'm posting, and what I love about the shot is, of course, that it's up and down, which means you're like stupid young. Um, but my eyes, like when I glance at something, the first thing that I notice is like you know driver's license. There's your face, but then to the right on the little Pennsylvania symbol, there's the letters DL. Like it's on the down low, like don't tell anybody, but right above it where it shows your sex and your eyes and your height, your eyes for Brown, it says BRO. So like I saw your license and I saw bro, like what, what what do they mean? Like, oh, it's the eye color. So I just posted that now. So I'll leave it up for a little while while we're talking. Uh, But on the, on the back of this Ruby, if you've got your phone handy, I know you do. Um, I'm going to post another photo, which. I love the death. This is like one of my favorite photos ever. You let me know when you see it. On Instagram? Yeah. Because we can't share stuff. There's my there's my driver's license. Wow. <laughs> I am little. Yes, that picture of both of us. That is one of my favorite right? pictures ever. So yes. for everybody listening, if you're if you go to Instagram right now, and how shrewd of this of me is this to 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 integrate all of this together, right? I'm posting stuff that they gotta go over there and look at. Um, <laughs> I just posted a photo of myself and Ruby from a few years ago when she was in my studio as she was hired by another photographer who was working on photographing corsets, I believe it was. Yes. They were, they were making. Um, he rented my studio in Pottsville, Pennsylvania, which is the Retro Lovelies World Headquarters. Sounds impressive, but it's just a room in a building. Well, a couple of rooms. <laughs> but as he was there and he's doing his job, um, he asked me, he's like, you know, can, can I take some pictures of you as well? I'm like, uh, why on earth do you want to do that? But okay. So from my days with the Victorian horrors of Old Monk Chunk, I had done some, some self-promotional images as the, the, one of the authors. And I donned Victorian attire, so I have like a, you know, an appropriate suit and a cane and a and a bowler cap, and I still have that at the studio. So I I put it on and have my cane because with Ruby and her her corset and other accoutrements, it, it seemed like it was a better thing to do. And as a total fluke, the photographer Jamie Wilson, he he got the shot that I just love to death. Um, yeah, something about it was right that like I I may never again have as good a photo I feel of myself, let alone with somebody else. <laughs> I mean, you just and look it, so badass, and, and it, you know, it reminds me of it reminds me of um, the British TV series The Avengers, 
where you had mm-hmm. Emma Peel and uh, John Steed. Um, they had that kind of imbalance because he was older and crotchety and she was like young and hot. And that's that's how we look there. I mean, we're like the Pennsylvania <laughs> Avengers in the photo, right? <laughs> so. So anyway, we we did the shoot and like, you know, you came. Um, I'm trying to remember that day. It was at the Gilded Cupid. Um, I think Brooke did the hair and makeup. You and Bella arrived at about the same time. We we worked in a couple different rooms, got yeah. some you know, some content and. It was it's fascinating to me to think about it because it literally occurred in November of 2009. And at that point, Retro Lovely didn't exist. I mean, it literally wasn't it wasn't on my radar because we were literally shooting for an ad for this promotional thing for a comic book, you know, and then to promote the burlesque festival. So it's just fascinating to see how how quickly that happened. And then just a few short months later, you know, there's the issue. You're in it. Win the contest. You get a bunch of the copies and you know we've we've had different points throughout time where we've you know woven in and out as well with mm-hmm. regards to like other photo shoots that you know you've done with some other people that have been yeah. published we've done some shoots that have been published finally we get a cover you know that we that we publish and of course there's um the looking glass review i mean you guys um with regards to uh when was it when was it that we had that first um Pinup prom. God, oh, yeah. was that like four years ago or so? I think or so. Five? Yeah. yeah so you know, you you and some of your troop were there and and you know took part in that and performed. Um, so you've been around. You've been around plenty. Um, mm-hmm. With regards to as a model, okay, um, you have been in lots of different publications over the years. Uh, have you had any situation? This this is actually a question that I could ask like both of you. And this isn't me trying to um, uh, elevate the brand name or make it sound like it's a big deal. But one thing that I've noticed, and this is like this is like me just doing a survey. Um, I've had a lot of instances in the past, even when things have been sort of like quiet, where like I'm really when I was in hiatus, uh, where I'll have like a friend or somebody that I know, and they'll just casually say to me, "Hey, you know, I met this person. I was talking to them. I don't know how we got on the topic, but Retro Lovely came up." And that they knew that they, that they knew about it, and that they that they realized that I knew you. It was kind of mm-hmm. like this strange thing. Um, early on, had you guys any experiences like that, where um, sort of like that six degrees of Kevin Bacon, where you've experienced like weird instances of of that brand recognition? Have you had any like, what uh, maybe you're talking to a model or you're you're someplace doing something and something happens like that? Have there been any like bizarre things where the connection gets made that you would never have guessed? Um, yes, but not specifically from the magazine, Mm. just other, um, shoes I've done. I know the one picture that it is printed in one of the issues. I think, uh, Lorna shot it, the station. Wow. Um, remake that has a lot of people will recognize that photo. I don't know if it's directly from retro lovely, but they'll be like, Oh my gosh, I've seen this. Before well, I even knew who you were, to be, and now to be, I know you. We're friends, and here it is. You know, you know what? And that's that's actually something that uh, uh, is fascinating to me too. Because uh, if I don't know if you guys are aware of that, uh, the book. There's two books: Chocolate Cheesecake that came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. From Schiffer, they were it was basically you know women of color, and what was really interesting, again, a very similar thing for me, where 
uh, the gentleman that put that together, Dr. Ernest Fox, he, uh, Cox, Ernest Cox, he, he had reached out to me at one point about uh, possibly contributing. I missed the first edition because of timing. But what was interesting was I got into the second edition and then he got to know me a little bit. And, you know, of course, he realized was retro lovely. But then the day came like we're probably a good like year later. He just sends me a message and we're talking about something or another. He says, by any chance, are you the same Michael Ben that had the band Advent Sleep? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, why? Like, what? how do you know that? Because, I mean, in the gothic industrial community, we were pretty well known. But outside right. of that, it's like, who? Right? Yeah. And he said that. I'm like, how do you know this? Because, I mean, he's like a professor. He, he's a professor in Kansas somewhere. And, and you know, I, I could not have imagined him knowing about this. And he's like, well, <laughs> when I was in school, I used to hear you guys on, like, the college radio or whatever. I got some of the compilations that you're on. And I, and I love that music. And I'm like, that is, that is stupid. That's awesome. Stupid. Like, I don't understand how that happened. But <laughs> that's the thing. And you know, for, for the sake of it with, you know, with all of this, there's so many like interplaying components and pieces that you're like, wow, had I not done that, it wouldn't have right. connected me to this person today. And this is something yeah. where all these things that you do artistically that you pursue, I think have value, even if you, even at the end of the day, if you feel it wasn't as successful as you hoped, mm-hmm. I think, I think if you create, you have to do these things because you never know in the future where they may lead. So right, exactly. In that capacity for, for you, Ruby, when did you specifically make that transition where you started to pursue burlesque? When would you say that happened? Um, wow, it's been probably seven years since I've started. Um, I kind of credit all of this to, to you and to Retro Lovely, to be honest, because oh. um, I like mean, if it little, wasn't for that original like a, photo shoot, like a, like I never would have. You started, yeah meant Brooke. Um, mm-hmm. I never would have even known that burlesque was an up and coming scene at the time. Um, so that was just like a huge thing for me. And it just kind of put me in contact with all of these other people. Um, I think I forget who, if it was Jacqueline who won the first, um, burlesque show that Brooke put on but I I made connections with her um I started doing shows with her I started doing hair and makeup for other performers and she had me kittening and I met Mika at one of her shows she was doing and that was the question I was gonna and I just went Mm -hmm. just went from there and you guys got like you guys got like burlesque married I mean you guys are like like a like almost like a couple yeah yeah I, you know, uh, there's a story I tell a, plenty about. We did a shoot here at my home in my attic. Um, yes. You and Mika with all my vanities, right? Yep. And we're we're doing the shoot, and the makeup artist was like, she, she looked at Mika, and apparently the way Mika was sitting or whatever the angle, the makeup artist goes, Mika, the curvature of your back is gorgeous. <laughs> Mika, I forgot about that. <laughs> without skipping a beat, in her little in her little Betty Boop voice goes, "Thank my scoliosis." Like, yep. <laughs> we're just like, it was it was amazing. It was like, oh my god, like how hysterical. Yes. So that's and that. it's it's I, I I don't think I've ever had uh, an experience or an encounter with any of you people that has been like nothing other than fun and enjoyable. Yeah. And glad we got to do it. You know, I yeah. I I literally don't have a single time of anxiety and. 
here's here's a tip models okay I'm, I'm talking right now with ruby von vanity i'm talking with miss v miss v has the distinction of being on three technically four covers with retro lovely because we did a miss v special edition with when i had a sister publication called cat club um never have these ladies tackled me to be published never have these ladies tackled me to be on the cover they've never asked me for it and there's nothing that gives me more joy when i see an image and the time is right and i say yes we got to do this we got to use this for a cover okay mm -hmm. it's it's I, I know plenty of other publishers. I talk to them in all strata of publishing from national on the bookshelves magazines to mimeographed, if you want to look that up on Wikipedia, um, from photocopied, you know, send it out in the mail kind of things. Publishers get beat up by that question. And these ladies never asked it. They've never, they've never badgered me. So good tip, good tip. That's a great way to go. Um, that will get you more favor than being what I call annoying. So yeah. thank you both for that. Um, Thanks. I but, mean, I feel like if you have to ask for it, is it really worth it? You know? Well, you know, there's, there's, here's the problem with it. Some people have a, have a hard time just making the distinction between being persistent and, yeah. asking, you know, because yeah. it's true. It's true. You, you know, in some cases, like I have a, a very good friend of mine that when it comes to business, he, he literally, he has to be in front of the audience. He has to contact them and ask, you know, how's it going? Do you need anything? You know, you kind of have to like be in their, their, their right. view. You have to be in their landscape. So I get that. I get that. But just make the distinction between that and being annoying. And you know, another great example was that, um, uh, Kelvis pinup, like, you know, uh -huh. she, she had a great situation where she, I don't think she was in the first issue. Um, but she was in, probably like a second or third. I think she was actually in one first in somebody else's ad. A photographer mm -hmm. used her in an ad. And when she was finally in an issue, she, you know, she, at the time she's like, Hey, you guys actually sell them at wholesale. Can I get copies to sell to my fans? I'm like, absolutely. And we, I sent her like a cart, you know, I think she bought like a carton's worth. And the day she got them, she sold them all. And she's like, can I just, I want to take all that money and buy as many as I can now with that money. And I'm like, okay. So then like I send her like three cartons and she sells those in pretty short order. Mm -hmm. And then she says, can I start selling some of these other ones? I'm like, absolutely. So she literally went on to sell hundreds of copies of various issues. And That's awesome. I think the one day we like, we sat down and I said to her, now really, how much money have you made from selling these? And it was like, mm -hmm. it was into the thousands of dollars. Wow. You know, and it was just because we had that vehicle in place that she could do that. She had that opportunity and that's all it was right. all about. That was, that was part of the reason you know, I want to do it like I did it because in the old days you would get paid for content. You would get paid for somebody to put your likeness in a publication right. uh, and things have changed and they've changed even more. But at that point in time, that was about the best we could manage. And it was still a cut above what most people were doing, but it was exciting to see. And in her case, we ended up doing a special edition for just her and it was based on not her ask. She never asked me, never mm -hmm. asked me for a cover. She never like, she would submit material, but would not like, beat me up about including things it was always and this is what i would say it was always her coming to me with her hands out to put them together not just out you know it was right what can we do together yeah, big difference and that's that's how it's always been with you guys and i know from your professional work with your burlesque and how you handle things in general you've got that mindset and it makes a big difference and it makes a makes a huge difference to get things done so kudos there mm -hmm. but it's interesting what you say ruby about as far as like you know 
how you started and you never would have imagined those things. And I've seen that yeah. plenty. I think it's a good, I think it's a good thing for anybody that has an artistic inkling in their body to not give up because, you know, do it not because you want to succeed, but do it because you need to do it. And if mm-hmm. what you, what you deem success comes, then great. Now I want to pivot a little bit and this actually probably be relevant to the two of you. Um, I have not been nearly as active on social media as I once was. Like I literally only use it now for, for if I have to, if I need to talk to family and friends, I'm sending messages. I'm not just posting things. I'm mm-hmm. kind of like absent when it comes to this, but occasionally I see posts of yours, Ruby. And it seems to me like in the past few years, you've had one or two instances where you've had some, uh, some audience members that have been appropriate, inappropriate that you, you've had to like, kind of like either, uh, after the fact, mention and put the, put them in their place, or mm-hmm. in the moment, put them in their place. Mm-hmm. The, let's let's go with Ruby first. For you, is it is is that more more uncommon than common? I'm I'm thinking it is, but it seems like it's surprising that it happens at all. Um, I've only ever had probably recently just one major incident where someone touched me while I was performing. Um, it was taken care of immediately, but honestly, it's really all these years. It's only been that one, one time. Okay. So um, well, I caught a, I caught a very recent, uh, inappropriate thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, I feel like also depends on the venue. If you're doing a, um, more of an open space, you're closer to people. They can interact with you more versus being mm-hmm. on a stage, you know, um, but no, I've only ever had one issue, and it was it was almost went not unnoticed. I knew what happened, but you're in that moment, and the adrenaline is going, and it's just like I kind of didn't realize till after the fact when somebody was like, "They just touched you," and I was like, "Yeah, they did." And then I was like, "Oh, <laughs> this is a lot." Uh, this was way more severe than I thought it was because, like I said, uh-huh. I was in the moment, but taken care of immediately and. Good, good. I don't think they'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. So, so Miss V, have you had similar or anything like that? I don't know if she's still there. Oh, oh, she's offline. But you know what? She is like... My browser shows you as offline too, so I don't trust that. Oh well. So we'll let that go. We'll we'll, we'll carry on. We'll carry on. So, um, so for you, you juggle. Uh, is it a full time job? Yep. Okay. So you juggle a full-time job and a second job and a half with a youngster. Um, mm-hmm. How do you? How how is it for you for time to get things done? I mean, yeah, you you have like a, a a family support unit, right? You have I think yes family support yeah. there, so they're they're available um, for watching that youngster when when appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's hard to get stuff done. I mean, photo shoots, costuming. I mean, how many times have I brought? Mm-hmm. my daughter with when sure. I came to shoot with you, you know, um, we have some photos with you guys together. Yes, we do. She was very little. Very oh, little. I know. I, she, but... she <laughs> now she thought she, I'll probably see her and she'll be like, when I first shot you, I'm like, Hey, yeah, yeah. there's Ruby junior. Yeah. Yeah. That's her. But I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky with that aspect. I have help from my family. Um, it is tough when I'm at home or I got to get ready for a show, get ready for a photo shoot. I mean, she wants to play, so it's not always timed right. Easy, yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm she does pretty well for the most part as far as working. 
there are instances where I have to say, hey, I got to take off because I have this photo shoot or I have a show. I got to do this. I got to do that. But I'm very lucky with where I work. Um, they're very flexible and very understanding. So That's good. That's good. it's easy for me to come and go as needed. Um, but yeah, there's times I definitely feel feel the it stress can, of stuff. It, it can be a sacrifice because it's, it's hard to be like a full-time artist. I mean, there's very yeah. few people that do some sort of artistic pursuit full-time yeah. and have it support them as well. So yeah. with so many people, it's, it's the thing that's their passion and, and oftentimes it can actually impose upon their, mm -hmm. their revenue stream or their, their normal life. Yep. So I don't think people really pretty like what you just said right there um, with regards to costuming um, mm -hmm. for, for anybody, if you go to a burlesque show, mm -hmm. um, if they have a cover charge and you pay that cover charge, you have to understand that that money that you pay them is, is a joke compared to the money that the people performing yeah. put into it. Yep. If you think, if you think the money that you're paying to see the show is going to them to perform, it's, it's long evaporated before you ever got there. They're, mm -hmm. they're still in the hole. Really what the money boils down to is it's offsetting some of what they paid to do it. So mm -hmm. be respectful, applaud your ass off. And if you can't tip them as well, or if they have products, buy products, like if they have yep. calendars or, or whatever. And I know we've had, I think we probably had the conversation in the past as far as like with, with the magazines, I've always made them available to people that way that they can, if they can capitalize on that, the shame of it is once upon a time, they could lately in recent years, it's, it's dwindled to, there's really not supportive. Like people just don't buy as much as they once might right. have. With performers and, and anybody that's doing something live, your benefit is that you can sign it. There's still those people that buy something that was autographed because yeah. you signed it in front of them. You you know, it was it was physically touched by you. There's value to that. So like yep. now I know I think Mika still does an annual calendar. Um yes. does does the Looking Glass Review itself have merchandise? Do you guys have like shirts? Do you have like stuff that you that you market? Um we do have a website that has stuff you can get um with our logo and stuff like that on it okay. but um we do mostly like vip packages so if you upgrade to those seats you get um an autographed photo of someone you get pasties that kind of stuff um but we if we have our our magazines or calendars or whatever we put those out at shows to sell Got it. um so we just bring whatever we have have at the time to sell which which is which is commonplace and yeah and yeah my my, yeah. my suggestion to anybody that goes yep. support these people give them you know buy that stuff because they're not making the money on it buy that and tip us Before always me. bring tip money yes yes it's it's uh again i said earlier a lot of people have no idea how much goes into something else that they've never done yep. you know you tackle it and you have like no idea like oh my god it's it's i i made a mistake it's it's you see how many times you see somebody launches a new burlesque troupe or they start or they yeah if it's a magazine if it's a, whatever it may be um mm -hmm. they think it's going to be easy and it isn't nope you really 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 have to love the thing and, yeah. and always it's a situation where i say to to models or anybody in art if you're doing it try and make a living you might want to rethink it yep. but if you're still going to do it understand that it's probably going to be disappointing in that way you're probably going to experience uh, let down yeah, this is really, uh, I think it's all just really a labor of love at this point. I mean, we get, we get our um, appropriate pay and our bookings and stuff, but when it comes down to it, it's, it's also like there's so many 
people doing it now, you know, it's not like it was. Right. So yeah, if you're not in it for, for liking what you do, <laughs> exactly. you're going to have a tough go. Exactly. 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 So let's see. It's about one ten. Feels like about a good spot to start thinking about winding down here. Is there, okay. are there, are there things coming up for your future that you want to talk about? Or is there, uh, what's, what's like some of your bucket list items for the future? Like what would bucket you like love items. to have happen? Yeah. Hmm. It could be anything, not just modeling or burlesque, anything across the board. I know you go to Disney a lot and yeah. dude, dude, can I tell you how <laughs> jealous I am of your, you were to Japan. dude? Yeah, that was, I dream about Japan like every single day since I've been there. That's like, I think about it every day. Anybody that I know that's been there, like they're, they, it's like, they got to go back. It's like, yeah. there's they're like salmon now. They got to go back. Yeah. It's, how, it's how long crazy. were you there for? We were only there for five days, it was oh. a short trip. And two of those days were spent at Disney, but <laughs> I would definitely love to go back. Um, no, there's the question. Did, was the trip because of Disney or both? Yes and no. Um, that was on the bucket list. Me and my sister are trying to get to all of the Disney parks Disney in the world. Um, we have Disney in Paris in October, ah. if we can can make it to that. But um, right. That's awesome. Yeah, just... I feel like my goal right now is traveling more, which is obviously put on hold, but mm -hmm. uh, I've never really done that much. So going to Japan was like a huge thing for me. And now that I've been out and seen what, what there is, I just want to keep going. And You want to do more, right? Yeah. I, I get that. You know, I actually had that conversation with my nephew a few years ago where we were talking about just life. And, mm -hmm. you know, the thing of it is, it's like material things. You know, your house, your car, stuff, right? Yep. That stuff seems like it changes anyway. And like what's important today isn't important tomorrow, but you always remember those experiences. And if it's mm -hmm. travel, that's 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 a big yeah. one. If it's, yeah. it's experiences with people, that's another. Yep. And I think, I hope maybe with what's going on right now in the world, maybe some people would start to look at what their priorities are and say, you know what? I don't need a new 60 inch TV TV every other year. Yeah. I should get out more and do things or yeah. I should have that money available for other things, for security, for whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe our priorities have gotten really, really skewed. And I know, I know I've said this, I've, to I've told this story to a few people now, but it really is kind of remarkable to think about it. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I helped my one brother re-roof his house. Well, actually, we were, both brothers were involved. But the brother that we were re-roofing his house, at the end of the day, he would uh, cook out on his grill. He'd make, make something to eat. And he had, he had some corn that he cooked and he'd wrap it in aluminum foil with some water to steam it sort of. So when he's done, he had this leftover foil and he balled it up, right, to throw it away or mm -hmm. to recycle whatever he does. And I said to him, have you seen those videos online where people take like an entire roll of foil and they, they pull it off the, the roll and they ball it up and then they hammer it down tight and then they sand it smooth and then they polish it. And then they have this sphere that looks like a chrome ball almost, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, there's like hundreds of videos of people doing this. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, right. And while I'm sitting here thinking about it, I said to him, wasn't it just a few hundred years ago that people spent every waking moment looking for food mm -hmm. and trying to survive and live and not become food? He's like, yeah. yeah. I'm like, just, I mean, like, it feels like the end days of Rome. Like, we have uh, gotten to the point where our pursuits, and here's the thing, photography, 
burlesque. It's not life essential. It's not essentials. I mean, it is spiritually, but right. it's the sort of thing where with it, the one thing I can say, though, is the experience. What we talked about just now, the experience, yes. experiencing yep. things. Uh, to that, it has great value. And as far as like enriching your life, there it is. And I think what's kind of cool about that, too, is um, it can be, even though we just talked about it being an expensive pursuit very often, mm -hmm. it can be something that is very cost effective in the big picture as far as what the value of those experiences are versus that effort. Right. Um, I, I know for myself, um, when I look back at things that I've done either with music or photography or whatever the pursuit might have been, publishing, um, those experiences, I'm glad they did them. I, I, you know, whatever the end result was, I'm glad I participated in life versus just being a consumer. Mm -hmm. in life. So, yeah, I agree. With that. that, I know you. I know you understand this. We had a conversation yeah, before, and completely. I know you get it. So, well, that's awesome. That's awesome to hear, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to be continuing to do that for the rest of your life. You're just yeah that until my body gives out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. If I can help you, you more to find me. So, <laughs> is, is there anything else you'd like to say to people? Anything else you'd like to add? I don't think so. Okay. I think, I think this is probably a good point to wrap this up. Cool. So to that end, I thank you immensely for taking part in this 10 years later. Who knew? Yes. That yes. we'd be able to thank do this at all. Me. So I will say goodbye to you. And I'm going to play one last piece of music to round this out. And I thank you so much for participating. For everybody else awesome. that took the time to listen live, there's still some people online I can see. I thank you for yes. joining us. And this will be archived and put up on the, the podcast for all posterity. So thanks, awesome. everybody, and we'll catch you again in another 10 years or maybe sooner. Thanks, guys. Again. See you. Bye.
to stay together It's so hard to find that feeling That's been frozen for so long Will you reach for the days Would you turn and walk away You say help me Will you say help me Thank <laughs> you.